you have your Bibles, please lift it up high and let me say this out loud and bold and strong. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I am saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I am a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I just want us to spend some time meditating on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Acts chapter 11. What does it mean to be a disciple? How do we become disciples? Uh, I'm sure you've heard a lot about that and, and probably read books on it and, and so on. But just want to share some thoughts with us this morning on being a disciple of Jesus. Let's begin by going to Acts chapter 11. And we look at verse 26. Acts 11 verse 26. It says in Acts 11 verse 26. Now when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. It says the disciples were first called Christians. The disciples were called Christians. So you're not a Christian because you have a Christian name. You're not a Christian because you're born in a Christian family. You're a Christian because you're a disciple. The disciples were called Christians. So if I want to be called a Christian, my first thing to do or obligation, responsibility, first thing is I must become a disciple. But who is a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? Jesus gave us this insight in Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. He said, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Verse 25, it is enough. For a disciple, that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. So Jesus is saying, you know, a disciple is not greater than his master. If the master lived a certain life, if the master set a certain standard, if the master walked a certain path, the disciple has to walk the same path. The disciple has to pay the same price. Because if the disciple could get to that destination by not taking the same route, then he's much greater than the master. So I know shortcuts. I can get there better than you. But the disciple is not greater than the master. The master walked that path. You also have to walk the path. But then he said in verse 25, it is sufficient. It is enough. It is sufficient that the disciple be like his master or teacher. So who is a disciple? A disciple is someone who is like his master. So as Christians, as believers, what does it mean to be a disciple? It means that we are people whose purpose is to be like our master. That's my purpose. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I want to be like my master. 
I'm an imitator of Jesus Christ. That's a disciple. Being like him. Amen. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. Jesus explained this a little bit more. He said this. He said, a disciple is not above his teacher. He's repeating the same statement. A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So, once again, he's saying, you know, disciple, you're not greater than your master. If your master set the standard, you just walk the same way. But then he says, everyone who is perfectly trained. Telling us that, that discipleship is a process. It's a journey. It's not like today I accept Jesus Christ and I'm thoroughly like him. No. We must be perfectly trained. And everyone, which means all of us have the capacity to become like him. All of us have the opportunity to become like Jesus. If we are willing to go through being perfectly trained. Because everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his master. The question is, are you willing to be perfectly, to be like him? Well, a question before that is, do you want to be like him? And if you want to be like him, if you desire to be like him, are you willing to be perfectly trained? Are you willing to go through that journey, that process of being brought into conformance to his image? Because he said, everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his master. So let's begin by first of all saying, you know, what does it mean to be like Jesus? Now, as you and I read the Gospels, we see the life of Jesus and our desire should be, I want to be like him. I want to be like him. That's our heart's desire. I want to be like Jesus. As you see Jesus in the Gospels. And just to bring our thoughts together, I will share some areas that we must imitate Jesus Christ in. Just a few. This is not, this is not a complete study. First, we could look at his walk with the Father. How did he walk with the Father? Let's try to imitate his walk with the Father. How did Jesus walk with the Father? There are several things we could see in the New Testament, in the Gospels, of how Jesus walked with the Father. For instance, he spent time with the Father. Deliberately, he took time out to be with the Father. If I want to be a disciple, I imitate Jesus in that. I take time out to be with the Father. He would wake up early. Mark 1.35 says, he rose up early. He went into a solitary place and prayed. He prayed through some nights. Luke 6, 12 says he went into a mountain. He spent the whole night in prayer to the Father. So he deliberately spent time with the Father. That was how he walked with the Father. Question. You and I are disciples of Jesus. Are we imitating him in this? Spending time with the Father. He walked in obedience to the Father. He chose to obey the Father. Now, you know, sometimes we think that, ha, but Jesus was so easy. After all, he was God in flesh. If Father said something, he'll do it immediately. It's automatic. But I want us to understand, it was not like that for Jesus. That he also struggled the way you and I struggle. Go with me to John chapter 12. I mean, there are many places we could look at and, and see and get an insight into the emotions of Jesus. But John chapter 12 is, is quite revealing of the struggle that Jesus had when he wanted, when he was at, at a decision point in his life where he had to purpose to do the will of God for his life. In John chapter 12, uh, Jesus has just 
reiterated the fact that he was going to die on the cross. He used the analogy of a grain of wheat falling to the ground and dying. He said, you know, just as a grain of wheat falls on the ground and dies, so he also had to go and die. And then he would bring forth much fruit and so on. As he's talking to the people about his upcoming death on the cross, here's what he says. If you will read with me in John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28, here are the emotions that Jesus is going through. He says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. See, as he's thinking about the cross and what he had to do on the cross, it's not easy. It wasn't like this at all. The father told I have to go to the cross. Okay, come on. Happy time. Let's go. It wasn't like that. He said, my soul is troubled within me. He felt the emotional pain of what he was about to carry in his life. He felt the struggle. There was a struggle going on. Uh, to the point he said, you know, how, how should I respond to this? Should I even have this thought? Should I even say, Father, save me from this hour? Did you know Jesus even considered that? To pray and say, Father, can you just help me escape this moment? Don't let me go through this. Save me from this moment. I don't want to face it. He even considered asking God that. So it wasn't like, you know, oh, let's go to the cross. No, no. He struggled with the will of God. He struggled with the will of the Father. To the point he even considered, should I ask Ask the father saying, please rescue me from this hour. Don't let me get into that. Please, please, can you just do something about it? I mean, send somebody else or send an angel. I don't know what. But can you rescue me? Can you save me from this moment? This particular moment in my life. But I have to make this decision. Can you save me from it? He even considered. But his response was, no. This is the purpose for which I came. For this purpose, I came to this moment. It's my life purpose. I must go through with it. And then he said, Father, glorify your name. Ultimately, Father, I want you to be glorified. So you and I, in life, we have those moments where we struggle with the will of God and maybe something that we want to do ourselves or a way in which we want to go or the other options that are before us. And we also struggle. Our soul is troubled within us. We go through that emotional battle and Jesus went through the same thing. Amen. God is telling, go to Champa. And you are saying, God, oh no, not Champa, God. Maybe Tampa, Florida is fine. <laughs> but not Champa. And you struggle with that. Should I go? Should I not? God is saying, go, but no, struggle. And you might even pray, God, just remove pastor from the scene. <laughs> so there's no one to talk to us about missions. I know you won't pray that prayer, but just <laughs> but you might pray, God, save me from this hour. Give me a quick promotion, a job relocation so I don't have to go to Tampa, something. <laughs> save me from this, making this decision from this moment. Might even pray. Jesus considered that. Should I pray? Save me from this hour. But then he brought himself back saying, no. For this purpose, I have come to this world. I want the Father to be glorified in my life. I will go through with it. Amen? So we must imitate him in our walk with the Father. We will face these kinds of struggles. 
Facing the struggle is not wrong. But what is the decision you're going to make at the end of it? That's what matters. Amen? And Jesus said, this is my purpose. I'm going through with it. I want the Father to be glorified. So imitate him in his obedience to the Father. Imitate him in his walk with the Father. He sought to do the Father's will. He sought the Father's glory, even when it was difficult for his life. We must also imitate Jesus in his walk in the world. Now just observe how he walked in the world as you read the Gospels. When people accused him, he didn't fight back. Somebody rubs you the wrong way. Whoa. What comes out? But that wasn't the way Jesus handled tough people. That wasn't the way Jesus dealt with people who accused him falsely. He forgave. He was patient. He didn't open his mouth as a lamb to the slaughter. He was alert. Look at him how he deals with circumstances in his life. I mean, think about this. He had had a long day doing ministry. He'd just been preaching to people, healing the sick and all of that. And he needed some time to rest. So he got into a boat. He said, guys, you take the ship to the other side. I'm just going to rest. I mean, at least, you know, hope that God the Father would have understood that he had a long, tiring day of ministry and he needed his rest that night or that evening. And God would have just ensured everything was quiet for him. But what happens? A storm comes. I mean, what would you do when you were like that? You say, God, you're so mean. I've worked so hard for you and just when I'm about to rest, you allow this storm to come. I mean, God, where are you? But Jesus doesn't react that way. What does he do? Very simple. Keep sleeping. The storm comes. And what does he do? Sleep. I heard Bill Johnson say this. Every storm that you can sleep in, you can conquer. Amen? So what do you do in the middle of a storm? Imitate Jesus. Sleep. I'm not saying escape from reality. He was tired. He was asleep. But what did he do when the disciples woke him? He came to the uh, front of the boat and he didn't complain to God saying, God, so miserable. I mean, why are you making life so miserable for me? I'm serving you and doing all this and look at the storm. Why can't you take care? He didn't do that. He used his faith. He calmed the storm, kept going. Imitate Jesus. Will you face storms? Yes. Will you face storms when you serve Jesus? Yes, maybe more. What do you do? Sleep in the storm and speak to the storm when you're awake. Imitate Jesus. Amen? Imitate him when, the, uh, when he faced needs. And the multitudes who needed a miracle. He said, took five loaves, two fish, and just believed God to multiply it. And I was, I was in Champa, and I was just thinking about, wow, you know. You know, we have money as a church. We like to give. Now, there, as a pastor, I can do one of two things. I can keep all the money here. Or I can just give it out. But here's the thought that came to me. The more I give, the more God's going to pour in. Amen? The more we as a church release to the nation, the more God is going to give. But the moment we hold on to everything and God says, well, I'm giving, but they're just holding on. Let me find somebody else through whom I can give. Amen? But if we are a church who are willing to release lakhs and lakhs and lakhs and lakhs across the nation, and hopefully someday we can release crores across the nation. If we as a church are willing to do that, I can just see the windows of heaven open to us. Amen? And that's the attitude of Jesus. Give. Believe God. Take what the little you have to meet a big need. And as you are releasing the little you have, it becomes more than enough to meet that need. Amen? So believe God for that. 
So imitate Jesus in his walk with the, in the world, in, in dealing with people, in handling situations, circumstances, facing needs. Imitate Jesus in the way he dealt with sin. If you will go with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. As he walked in this world, how did he deal with sin? For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus lived in the same world that you and I live in. And he faced sin and temptation the same way you and I face sin and temptation. He didn't come in an insulated world or in an insulated casing that kept him safe from sin. No, he was as exposed to sin as you and I are. He faced the same temptations, all points, meaning in all areas of life, he faced temptation. And he was without sin. Imitate Jesus in that. It's not a sin to face temptation. Temptations came to Jesus just like it comes to you and me. We all face temptation in all areas. But let's begin to strive to be like Jesus. I want to be without sin. Amen. I want to be like him. He overcame. And so I want to overcome. In chapter 2 and verse 18. It says, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted. Is able to aid those who are tempted. Look, he went through the same thing you're going through. He faced it. And because he's been through it, he's able to assist us. He knows exactly what you feel. He knows the struggle. He knows the emotional turmoil. He knows the pain. And he is able to aid you and me. Amen. And that is why you and I can hope to live like him. Because he's there to aid us. To assist us in that, in that whole process of overcoming sin. Overcoming temptation. So strive to be like Jesus in his walk with the Father. Strive to be like Jesus in his walk in the world. Let's just look at one more verse here on this. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, says this. 1 John 4, 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we. Our life in this world is the same as his. That means I have to live in this world just the way Jesus lived in this world. Our life in this world is the same as his. So strive to be in this world just the way like Jesus is. How would Jesus handle this situation? How would he face this problem? How will he handle these people? How will he address this situation, this need? How would Jesus react and respond to these things? A true disciple is an imitator of Jesus. I want to be like him. Amen. Another area is in how Jesus dealt with the devil. Imitate Jesus and how he dealt with the devil. There's an interesting verse in the 14th chapter of John. We go back to the gospel of John chapter 14 and verse 30. Jesus said, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world. That's the devil. The ruler of this world is coming And he has nothing in me. The devil's coming, but he finds nothing in me. How did Jesus deal with the devil? Here's one of the ways he dealt with the devil. Jesus said, the devil's coming to me, but he finds nothing in 
me. One of the titles given to Satan in the New Testament is Beelzebub. It literally means God or Lord of the flies or Lord of the dung. Lord of the garbage, modern terminology. Lord of the flies. There are two ways you can try to get rid of flies. You can try to keep chasing the flies or get rid of the dung. Get rid of the garbage. Jesus said, the Lord of the flies is coming. He has nothing in me. The rule of this world comes to me, but he finds nothing in me. Why do the flies come? Because there's garbage. Why do they stay there? Because it's garbage. You can try to get rid of the flies by chasing the flies. Keep going back. Pastor, pray. Drive the devil out. Pastor, pray. Drive the devil out. Keep rebuking the devil. He keeps coming back. So I'm wondering why. Why is he so attracted here? There's a better way to get rid of the devil. Better way to get rid of those flies that keep coming. Get rid of the garbage. Revelation. So what did you learn this morning when you went to church? Get rid of the garbage. The ruler of this world is coming. There's nothing in me. There's nothing that in me that he gets a hand on. He can, by which he can get a hold of my life. By which he can uh, control me in any way. Nothing. Question believer. How many things in our lives are really garbage. Which give the devil a stranglehold over our lives. Sure you can come for prayer and we can. Say, you know, resist the devil, rebuke the devil. But there's a much better way to solve the problem. Get rid of your garbage. Amen. I know the devil comes against us to hinder us, to oppose us, to stop those, you know, stop us from advancing for the kingdom of God. And those are good signs. Nothing to worry about. Just means you're doing the right thing. Amen. Look, it also worked about, about it, you know. Sometimes we just give the devil a little more, a much more significance than we really should. So he's trying to oppose us, hinder us, try to get us off distracted in things. They're just signs that you're on the right track. Keep going. But if you, feel, if you see the enemy coming back over and over again, then you've got to stop and check and say, hey, is there garbage in my life that's causing him to come? Deal with the garbage. Amen? The ruler of this world comes and there's nothing in me. Our Ephesians 4.27 puts it like this. It says, give no place to the devil. Ephesians 4.27. You give no place to the devil. So if you've got the place clean, you've got the door shut, giving no place. He can come, but you'll find no place. So not only did Jesus have this defensive approach when he dealt with the devil, which all of, most of us and which all of us need to do, but he also had an offensive approach. Wherever he went and he found the works of the devil, he destroyed it. First John chapter 3 verse 8, we know that scripture, let's refer to that. First John chapter 3 verse 8 says, For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. First John 3 and verse 8, the latter part of verse 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. His purpose must become our purpose. His purpose was to destroy the works of the devil. He healed the sick. He cast out devils. And, and he ministered to people. Set them free. His purpose must become our purpose. We have been given authority in the name of Jesus. By the word of God. By the anointing of the Holy Spirit. To bring healing. To bring deliverance. To undo the works of darkness. And that must be our purpose as well. Amen. Imitate Jesus in his ministry. And how he dealt with the devil. 
So as believers, as we are growing into Christ-likeness, which is God's purpose for our lives, as we are going through this process of discipleship, let's just, let me just share a few thoughts here now on this process of discipleship. How does God work in us as He takes us to becoming like Jesus? There are several ways that God works in our lives. I'll just quickly summarize them. God works in us by His words. We all know that. So reading the Word of God is so important. Spending time in the Word, meditating in the Word, letting that Word dwell richly in you is very important because God transforms us by His Word. His Word transforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. So spend time in the Word of God. God works in us by His Holy Spirit. So open up your life to the work of the Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, come work in me. Ask the Holy Spirit for help in areas that you're struggling. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you change and become more and more like Jesus. The Bible tells us that we are changed into His image by the Spirit. God uses other people. That's why we need one another. He uses people to encourage us, to correct us, to speak into our lives, uh, to support us, to aid us, assist us. So get connected with people. With those around you who can really speak into you. I just enjoy sitting. I was traveling this past few days with Dr. Chaco from Delhi. Uh, he's part of the head office in EHA. And I just enjoyed my time with him. Just sitting and listening to all the missionary stories. And his experiences and, and experience of people. His own and other people as well. Just doing missions in India. It was such an enriching time for me. It just inspired me so much. And we need to have people like that. Who inspire us. Encourage us. Amen. So connect with the right people because God uses people, other people to work in our lives. God works in us through circumstances, situations. He sets things up for us. Somebody sent me a quote one day. It said this. Coincidence is when God chooses to remain anonymous. You think it's a coincidence. God just said, yeah. He's just setting it up for you. So God sets things up in our lives, circumstances, situations, just to move us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Amen? But I want to close with one very important thought here on this whole process of discipleship, which you find in John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. I want to share that and then we'll close. John chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. A disciple is somebody who is pressing in to be like his master. He wants to be like Jesus. Jesus is the gold standard. We want to be like him in his walk with the Father. We want to be like him in his walk in the world. We want to be like him in how he dealt with Satan and, and, and demons. And it's a process. God changes us from glory to glory into that image of Christ. And he uses his word, his spirit. He uses people. He uses circumstances to help move us into that. But as we keep moving from glory to glory, there's one very important thing we must keep in mind. In John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, Jesus said, I am the true wine and my father is the wine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bring forth more fruits. So Jesus is using the analogy of the wine, the plants, and he says, you know, I'm the wine, you're the branches. You're the, you're the part of me that expresses me. You're the part of me that bears the fruits. 
Each one of us, we are branches on the vine. And we are to bear the fruit of the vine, express the life of Christ in us. And how does he deal with us? Verse 2 says, if any branch doesn't bear fruit, he cuts it off. Removes it. But look at the latter part of verse 2. But every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bring forth more fruits. So in this process of discipleship, the reward for fruitfulness is greater discipline. The reward for increased fruitfulness is greater discipline. What is pruning? Pruning represents divine discipline. In our journey of discipleship, the reward for increased fruitfulness is greater discipline. So what do you mean? Like let's use an analogy of a corporate setting. Your boss comes to you and says, wow man, you, you had a great year. I'm going to give you a big raise and a promotion. You're also excited. Whoa, raise, you know, so many thousand rupees more a month. And I'm promoted. What does it mean? In other words, he's saying, I've got more work for you. That's all he's saying. You think, ah, promoted, you know. And that, do you think next day you can go back and just, act, just relax? Whoa, I got a raise and I'm now promoted and I can just do whatever I want. No, 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 you can't do that. Why? You're promoted means greater responsibility. The reward for increased fruitfulness is greater discipline. God's discipline is a call to maturity. That's all it is. Nothing else. Sometimes we're all scared, discipline, chastening of the Lord. Relax, boy. It's just a call to greater maturity. That's all it is. The call to discipline is a call to greater maturity. Just God says, I'm giving you more responsibility. Just mature up. That's it. Now, why does God reward increased fruitfulness with greater discipline in order that, to sustain that fruitfulness? Amen? The reason God rewards increased fruitfulness with greater discipline is so that we can sustain that fruitfulness. If we reject that discipline, we will come down to our former level. So in your journey of discipleship, every time you see God bringing increase in your life, prepare for a greater level of discipline. A greater level of maturity. If you fail the to make the transition to greater discipline and greater maturity, you will lose your present level of fruitfulness. You will lose it. Some of you are wondering, why am I at the same level? Man, dude, wake up. Every time there was increased fruitfulness, God expected you to rise up to greater maturity, a greater level of discipline. And here's the last thought. It is better for you to bring that discipline on yourself than have it brought, be brought to you. Amen? So I went, I went and made this trip now to Chaturpur and Champa. And I said, God, this is so amazing, God. You're just opening up such great opportunities for us to come and serve you in these, these, these districts. And it's amazing. You know, how many churches in Bangalore would have this opportunity? How many churches in, in Bangalore would have this opportunity to go in? And, and I said, God, this year has been so amazing. You've just opened up so many doors in our city. You know, Elevates going into so many schools. You've opened up so many different states of India. Having these youth conferences in so many places and all this. Then I reminded myself. Increased fruitfulness means increased discipline. Okay, God. Okay, okay, okay. I better just guard myself even more in every area of my life. Amen? Because I want to maintain 
this fruitfulness. Increase, God rewards increased fruitfulness with increased. So now, I'd rather bring that discipline on myself than have it brought to me. So where is it in the Bible? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11.31. I will stop with this. 1 Corinthians 11.31. It says, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Verse 32, But when we are judged, we are chastened. That's the word chastened. The word chastened is just a word for discipline. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. If we will judge ourselves, if you bring the discipline on yourself, then it doesn't, you don't have to have it put on you. Amen? So in your walk with disciples, if I want to challenge you, every time you see God blessing you and increasing you to a level of fruitfulness, increase your discipline. You bring greater discipline on yourself. Put guards on you. Say, okay, God, you're increasing me. You brought me here. I've got to walk at a higher level of discipline. If I do not walk at this increased level of discipline, I will lose my fruitfulness. I will slide back. You need that greater level of maturity. You need that greater level of discipline to sustain the increased fruitfulness you're seeing. Amen? And if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Meaning, if I bring it on myself, then I don't need to wait for God to cause it to come on me. Amen? So in our walk of discipleship, every time you see God blessing you, every time you see God bringing increase in your life, you're bearing fruit, just remember that the time of fruitfulness is also a time of pruning. It's a time of God calling you to greater levels of maturity. It's a time of God saying, come on, I want you to rise up to a greater level of, 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 of discipline because that is what is going to sustain you and cause you to rise to the next level of fruitfulness. And you bring it on yourself quickly rather than waiting for God to cause it to come to you. Amen? Now God's been so good to us as a church. This year has been so amazing. So many things have opened up for us. So many, so many opportunities in our situation. God's been so good. But it just means that we have to press forward. Their eyes focused upon Jesus. They can't get distracted by this or that. Our call is to be disciples. Our call is to be like Him. It is enough that the disciple be like His Master. Would you take some time this morning just to reflect on what we've heard, what we studied together? Would you take some time this morning just to pray over these things for your own self? And say, yes, God, I want to be a disciple. Somebody who is moving in to becoming more and more like Jesus in every area of my life. We talked about a few in our walk with the Father, in our walk in the world, in how we deal with demonic powers. If we could just learn some things from Jesus and adapt them into our lives, it'll help us move closer and closer to becoming like Him. And God works in the process of discipleship in many ways, His Word, His Spirit, through people, through circumstances. But one thing we must keep in mind, every time we see God bless us, Every time we see God increase in our lives, it just means He's calling us. He's also calling us to a greater level of responsibility at that moment in order to sustain that fruitfulness, lest we lose it. 
So would you take some time just to pray, please? Whatever the Lord's spoken to your heart this morning, would you respond to that? We just thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives, Lord. We embrace your call to be disciples of Jesus. We embrace your call to be conformed to his image. Have your way in us. Change us. In every area, God, that needs change. Mold us and make us into that image. Forgive us, Lord, for resisting change. But as we stand here this morning, just like how Jesus said, Father, my soul is troubled within me. What should I say? Save me from this hour? No. For this purpose I came to this hour. Father, be glorified. Lord, we resolve that in areas where we have resisted your work, your change, your transformation, this morning we say, no, for this purpose we are here to be like Jesus. So come to your work, O oh Lord. Father, be glorified even in those areas of our lives. We surrender, we yield, we let go to do your will. Be glorified, be glorified. There are areas of your life that you felt that you were struggling with, you were resisting God's change that he wanted to bring. Would you this morning just draw encouragement from the example Jesus set for us? He said, for this purpose I have come to do the will of the Father. Father, be glorified. Would you pray the same way and say, Father, this is my purpose to be like Jesus, so I yield. And be glorified even in this area of my life. Would you do that? Be glorified, Lord. Be healed to you. Come by your presence, by your Holy Spirit. Strengthen us. Lord Jesus, aid us, assist us to do your will so we can glorify the Father. Before we close this morning, there's anyone here and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, to change you. If you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. You just have to pray this prayer with me, just inviting Jesus to come into your life, to change you into His image into his likeness to forgive your sins to bring you into the kingdom of God into his family 
If you've never prayed a prayer like that, I just like you to just, and you'd like to do that this morning, I'd just like you to repeat this prayer after me. If you could just say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. And help me to follow you the rest of my life. Forgive all my sins. Make me a child of God. Make me into your image, Jesus. And I ask it in Jesus' name. If you pray that prayer, I want you to know that God's begun a work in your life this morning. I'd encourage you to get a copy of the Bible, read it, come back to church, worship, make some good Christian friends, grow together in the faith. Amen? Let's close. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. Lift up His countenance on you and give you His peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.